Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. As part of the Animal Health Ireland and Chagas Calf Care Virtual Week, I'm joined by Michelle McGrath, Myrne Keneally and Neve Field to discuss the care of the newborn to maximise health in the early days. And I first asked Michelle why calves have no immunity at birth. I suppose the development of the calf's immune system is actually quite complex because the womb is there as a protection protecting it from all types of diseases in utero. So because of this, um, no antibodies have, they haven't been exposed to any any antibodies before they're born, like happens in humans. So that's why it's so important that calves are are fed um, colostrum as soon as possible after birth, because even when they're being born, you know, they're being exposed to infectious agents in the birth canal. So that's why it's just so we can't overemphasize how important it is to get that colostrum in as soon as possible. And Michelle, when we think of colostrum, you know, we often think of the one, two, three rule, and that's pretty much what's drilled into us. And it emphasizes the importance of colostrum. But to get some more detail from you, you know, when we the number one is the first milk. You know, why is that first milk so important and maybe why what has colostrum to offer us when we compare it to standard lactation milk yeah so the one is the first milk as you say and it's the um from the first milking the cow has um super high levels of antibodies in that colostrum um it's even even the second milking there's only half the number of antibodies so it, it decreases rapidly and by by milking six or eight you know it's back to normal so even um, for colostrum it should be only the first milking given for the first feed um within two hours of birth um because the um, the calf's ability to absorb antibodies reduces every hour from birth. So it's it stops by the ca- by the time the calf is 24 hours of age. So they won't be able to absorb these magic antibodies um, after this time. Well, while they will act as a local protection in the gut, um, they won't be absorbed into the calf's bloodstream. Um, and the why the antibodies are so important is because, as I said, the calves have no antibodies when they're born and it takes them up to three to four weeks of age before they develop their own immune system. So they need these antibodies to get them through that phase. And, and looking then to number three, it's the three litres or the quantity that you're feeding the calf. How is that calculated? Yeah, so um, a typical dairy calf is about 35 kilos when born and what they recommend is 8.5% of their body weight. So 8.5% of 35 turns out to be three litres. So it can seem like a lot in a small calf. Obviously, if it's if there's more of a, a jersey cross in it, then you won't need quite the three litres. But um, that's how it's how it's calculated and I I find if you are feeding um, colostrum and you have to give them three litres it's important to have a bottle or a stomach tube that can take the full three litres because if you stop kind of midway through the feed that it can be hard to get the calf sucking again after like ideally you want to feed with a bottle but like it can be quite time consuming and if you have a lot of calves to feed then obviously the stomach tube might be quicker 
but it's probably a two-person job. You know, you need one to restrain the calf and, and then the other to pass the tube. But um, And the other thing about tubing is it can be actually harder to get the calf to suck post feed post the first feed, you know, um, because they haven't had that experience when they were born and they can kind of lose that a bit. So obviously if, if it's the middle of the night then and you're tired and there's lots of calves, then the stomach tubing is the way to go. But if you have any time, if you've any bit of extra time, it's worth putting it in to getting the calf to suck at that first feed, in, in my experience anyway. That's great. Thank you, Michelle. Okay, thanks, Emma. And now we hear from Wern Keneally on how to assess colostrum quality. Well, there are a number of factors that influence colostrum quality. Um, One factor is uh, the time of colostrum collection in relation to when the cow calved. So the longer the time period between when a cow has calved and the colostrum is collected, um, the lower the colostrum quality. So it's really important to collect the colostrum as soon as possible after the cow is calved to make sure that it's of the highest quality possible. Then the other factors, I suppose, are the age of the cow. So older cows have been exposed to more disease during their lives, so they produce colostrum with a higher antibody concentration. And the the antibody is the measure of the colostrum quality. So um, they've they've been exposed to more, more disease and they have higher colostrum quality. That's not to say that colostrum quality from heifers is not good. In a lot of cases, it can be very good. So, um, but it's just that the older cows tend to be higher. Uh, also, the volume of colostrum is related to its quality. So cows that produce uh, large volumes of colostrum tend to have um, colostrum with a lower antibody concentration. Also, the time of the year of calving has a has some effect too. So the cows that calve Later during the spring tend to have lower colostrum quality than cows calved earlier in the spring or cows calved in the autumn. And that's probably related to the fact that cows calved later might have been slower to go and calf for various reasons. Um, it, it may be poor health uh, or, or other, other factors which might indirectly lower their colostrum quality and looking then to testing the colostrum urn and like if if you could give us maybe the kpi or the key metric that you would use um you know as as the figure that is important for colostrum quality yeah so if you're measuring the antibody level in colostrum the antibodies or immunoglobulins which which are the cells that protect the calf from disease the figure there that's uh, tells us the colostrum is of good enough quality is 50 milligrams per mil. Um, now, if you are measuring it on farm, there's no way of of getting that number on farm because um, you need to do an ELISA test in a lab to 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 measure the IgG concentration. But if you use a BRICS refractometer, um, which is is the most reliable and convenient method for measuring colostrum IgG or antibody on farm. The cutoff point there is 22%. Um, the BRICS refractometer scale reads from zero to 30. And if a value, if the value is 22% above that is colostrum that is of 
high enough quality to see. And you mentioned the BRICS refractometer. Um, you know, so, some people listening in today mightn't necessarily have heard of it or have heard of it, but have never accessed one. You know, where can that be purchased, Mern? And could you give us an idea of the type of cost to, to purchase a BRICS refractometer? Yeah, well, um, they can be purchased online. So there's a number of um, retailers selling them online. Um, I know that there is quite a variation in cost. You know, you can pay up to a few hundred euro for a really top spec one, but but you can get a very decent one for, um, you know, thirty or forty euro. You used to be able to get them on Amazon. And and maybe I I know like say we we can't um, we can't watch you doing it, but could you give us maybe um, the two or three steps um, of how the bricks refractometer actually works? Yeah, so it's just it's a little handheld device. Um, it works. It's called a refractometer because it it refracts or bends light. And the amount it bends the light will depend on the the density of the liquid that it's pa- that the light is passing through, and the density of the liquid, um, in this case colostrum, is determined by the amount of immunoglobulin or antibody that's in that liquid. So you you get your few drops of colostrum, you place it on a little glass um, screen, and then. You hold it up to the light and basically, you know, it's difficult to explain this without actually having one to show. Um, but you look through an eyepiece at one end and when you're looking through it, you'll see a little scale. You'll see the brick scale on the inside and uh, you'll be able to, there'll be a, a, a threshold between a dark colour and a light colour. And that um, threshold is the colostrum quality. And again, on the, on that scale, if it's above 22, the classroom is good enough to feed to a car. So it's, it's actually very easy to use, really. And moving on then, Mern, to I guess it's a kind of a side note, but it is something that may affect quality. When you think about storage, what is um, the best practice in storing colostrum um, for calves? Like, you know, a lot of people have it in a bucket um you know sitting in the parlor is this recommended or is there something that you could do um to improve it yeah well no that wouldn't be recommended um yeah storage is 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 very important when it comes to maintaining quality so if basically the the storage conditions won't affect the antibody concentration in the colostrum but it will affect the amount of bacteria that's present and if you leave it out at room temperature or just in the parlor, I know on a cold day it might be colder, but if you store it at greater than than, than uh, four degrees, the bacteria will multiply much more quickly in, in the colostrum. And high levels of bacteria in the colostrum will actually bind to the antibodies and will stop the antibodies passing through into the calf. So even though there might be enough antibodies in the colostrum, um, if there's all the bacteria present as well, the calf won't absorb these antibodies. So the best thing to do is to refrigerate it immediately. And if it's refrigerated immediately, uh, you can keep it in the refrigerator and it'll be fine to feed for up to two days. But after two days, if it's not fit, it should be discarded. Or you can put it in a freezer and if it's frozen, um, it will it will be safe to use for, for a year after it's frozen. Thank you, Mern. You're welcome, Anne-Louise. And now to knee field on how to eliminate the risk of yones to newborn calves. Basically, yones disease is a bacterial infection of cattle, sheep and other ruminants. Um, and unfortunately, there's no cure for it. Um, it's, it's highly infectious. 
um, and usually cattle become infected as young calves in the first few weeks of life. Um, so adult cattle usually shed the bacteria in their feces, milk and colostrum. And that's how uh, young calves get infected by coming into contact with those. Um, once they, they are infected with the bacteria, it kind of settles in the intestines um, and causes damage to the, the animal's gut wall. Now it progresses silently for a number of months and years. Um, so you typically don't see any signs of yones in an infected animal until they're at least two years old and usually older. Um, so in dairy cows, um, it's quite common that they might have three or more calves before they might show any signs of the disease, even if they were infected as a, a young calf themselves. Um, so when it comes to the actual clinical signs you'd see or the symptoms, um, when the gut wall damage progresses enough, you, you initially start farmers might notice reduced productivity um, in the animal. So kind of um, reduced feed conversion efficiency or maybe a slight dip in milk yield. Um, uh, then it might progress to loose feces or scour um, and then progressive weight loss, even though the animal would, would still be eating well. Um, and eventually, if, if they're not culled for any of those reasons, they, uh, they do eventually die of, of the disease. And how can farmers investigate uh, the yone status of their herds? So if farmers are, are kind of wondering um, if, they, if they have yone's disease, some farmers might be suspicious based on clinical signs they see in their cows or, or just if farmers are concerned about it and want to know um, what's going on in their herd. The best place to start is um, by talking to their vet. Um, now, there is a voluntary Irish yone's control programme up and running in Ireland for both dairy and beef herds. Um, it's managed by Animal Health Ireland um, and it has great supports uh, for farmers um, once they get involved. They, there's access to specially trained vets all over the country to talk to about yones testing um, and control of the disease and also good advice on how to prevent uh, bringing yones into your herd. Um, so that's that would be my, my main piece of advice is to, to get in contact with your vet and, and ask them about the, the Irish Yones control programme. Um, it's, it's very good as well because the programme um, has support from milk processors, um, which provide subsidised herd testing for Yones and also um, uh, advice and support through risk assessments done on farm that can really get down to um, the specifics for your individual herd of how to prevent yones coming in and if you have yones, how to control it. And I guess, you know, when, when we think of yones and, and our conversation today is mainly around um, the, I suppose, management and care of the newborn calf. And, you know, speaking with Michelle earlier, you know, she explained that there's absolutely no immunity in a newborn calf um, and they're you know, vulnerable to any disease. But could you give us, uh, I suppose, your advice and tips on how you can eliminate the risk of yones to newborn calves? Yeah, so definitely um, newborn calves are totally vulnerable to all infections um, straight after birth. And yones is definitely one of those. Um, so it is young calves that are most vulnerable to becoming infected up to um, about six weeks of life. They're, they're very vulnerable to becoming infected with yones. So again, as I said before, adult cows um, or adult animals typically are the ones who shed uh, yones bacteria in their feces particularly, but also in their colostrum and their milk. So it's absolutely critical um, if you have yones in the herd or are suspecting you could have yones in the herd to prevent 
calves coming into contact with adult cow feces. Now, this is particularly relevant for the calving pen when the calf is first born. Um, in group calving pens, there can often be lots of adult cows and, and their feces is in the, in the straw. So the calf comes into contact with that very early on in life. So you want to have really clean calving pens um, free of, of adult cow feces if possible. Um, and removing the calf as soon as you can after birth is a great way of limiting their contact with adult cow feces and uh, removing them to, to a separate um, calf pen. Also, when it comes to colostrum, um, it's important that if you have a cow who tests positive for Yonase disease or is showing clinical signs of Yonase disease, that you don't feed her colostrum or her milk to calves. So feed uh, colostrum from um, ideally test negative um, animals. Um, as some farmers will have heard, pooling colostrum is also not recommended when it comes to controlling Yonase disease because pooling from lots of different cows in the herd um, of colostrum typically would just slightly increase the risk that there could be a positive cow in that pool of colostrum who will then be fed to multiple calves. Um, when you're feeding milk as well, it's possible that there can be yonase bacteria shed into milk from infected cows. So ideally, if you're testing for yonase, you would just dump the, you, you wouldn't feed milk from the infected or positive cows to, to, to calves. Um, and if you want to completely um, nearly eliminate the risk from feeding milk, um, milk replacer uh, really does reduce the risk that calves would come into the contact with bacteria um, through milk. And I would say, Neva, a lot of what you're talking about, you know, is implemented on farm. You know, when you talk about, you know, farmers identifying that positive animal, um, you know, and not feeding their colostrum. But I think, you know, you mentioned pooling colostrum and that's something that has been very convenient. You know, your farmers have done it out of convenience, but maybe that's something that does need to change on farms. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's 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 wide. It's widely done um, pooling colostrum because, you know, f f farmers are very busy at that time of year and. Uh, anything that can be done to save time is um is desired you know but if you are particularly trying to control yonase disease in the herd um it is definitely one of those things that you could be maybe considering how you could change that practice and there are farmers out there who figured out very um efficient ways of feeding um individual uh, colostrum to to calves from individual animals so it can be done it it might just take um a, a new look at the organization of the system um but definitely it, it the, the most important thing in my view is the the feces that's where i think the biggest risk lies and if farmers focus even on that reducing calves contact with adult cow feces they'll be they'll be doing um, a great um, a job in terms of starting off controlling yonase disease. Neva side point from the care of the newborn calf in relation to yonase but you mentioned you know an, a cow that is a, a positive for yonase on the testing or a, a cow that has shown clinical signs where should these cows calve down? Well, um, they definitely are at higher risk of passing infection to, to calves. So an animal that is test positive or is showing clinical signs of yonase, you'd want to be trying to calve them separately from the rest of the cows. So in an individual calf pen or a calving pen or else outside if possible, um, because if you imagine that they are infected with yonase disease and shedding it in their feces, um, that feces uh, could potentially infect all the calves born into a group calving pen if that cow is in a group calving pen. 
So that's that's the reason you'd want to calve her on her own. And um, for the safety of her own calf, uh, remove that calf from her as soon as you can after it's born. That's great. Thank you, Neve. No problem. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Michelle McGrath, Myrne Keneally and Neve Field for joining me on this week's show. You can tune into the Beef Edge podcast this Wednesday to hear about the guidelines for feeding milk and concentrate in the diet of the calf. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.